Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we have the pleasure of looking at the readings for the first Sunday in Lent. And if you would like to listen to all the readings for the first Sunday in Lent, you can do so by listening to the readings podcast that was dropped previous to this episode. So we've moved into a new season. We're out of Epiphany, where our Lord was revealed to us as the Messiah, as the Son of the living God. And we move into Lent. And we do this through Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday is a very humbling day, uh, especially for a pastor to mark all those who come to church with the sign of the cross upon their forehead and make the simple statement, from dust you came and dust you shall return. And this is a reminder of our sins and the consequence of sins. And this really helps us in Lent because now we're going to deal with our sins, but we're going to deal with them in such a way that we're not left to just wallow in the immensity of our sins. We actually get to do this with Christ. We get to do this seeing what had to take place for our salvation. Christ comes into the world. Christ comes to bear our sins. And I think this flows really well into our first Sunday and it's in Lent, not of Lent. Got to be careful with the prepositions. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of interesting because Sunday is actually outside of Lent. Um, you can break your Lenten fast on Sunday if you so desire. That's why we have coffee and donuts. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and the freedom of the gospel. Uh, but at the same time, we recognize that this, this is a heavy season. And with that, um, I think comes the recognition of, um, you know, the sinfulness that we all have and, mm-hmm. and carry with us, uh, but also the recognition that there's nothing that we could do yeah. in ourselves to um, to bring us out from that sinfulness, to save us, to pay for our own sins. So we, 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 we keep that in mind, but then we transition and put the focus on Jesus and right. what he did. Absolutely. And, and it's kind of the whole idea that when we start recognizing the law and the consequences of our sin and death— it forces us to immediately look to salvation, to hope. Never, oh, I'm a sinner. Now I got to pull myself up by the bootstraps and get in, get into the good graces of God, or, or so on and so forth. It really does point us to exactly what you said, Christ, and what He did, and uh, that, that's what Lent is all about: recognizing our sins and what we have in Christ. Which gives us our text: Saint Luke chapter four, verses one through thirteen. Jesus was just baptized. Uh, The Holy Spirit descended upon him in the likeness of a dove. And then he immediately, and who is it? Um, I think it's Matthew who always says immediate uh, or Mark or whatever. But he immediately from— I think think it's Mark, the the urgency. Yeah. I want to say that's Mark. Okay. Uh, Immediately goes into the wilderness. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we hear in our text uh, for 40 days. And for 40 days, Jesus doesn't eat, doesn't drink, 
and he's tempted by the devil. The the first statement I want to make, and not reading between the lines, but making a, a, a big point, from day one of his 40 days, the devil is there tempting. And we don't know how he's being tempted. We don't know what he goes through. We're only given these three situations. And so this is really big. And so we hear that um, when, um, when he was hungry, and I think this is really, really important, because how is it that God is both man and God at the same time? And to show that Jesus is one of us, this shows his humanity. He was hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm hungry like 20 minutes after I got done eating. <laughs> so I can't imagine 40 days. And then that just almost like a, a oh, yeah, and, and he was hungry. 40 days, not eating or drinking. Oh, yeah, and he was hungry. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a little note thrown in there. Nowadays, there's a term. It's called hangry. Yes. And that's when you get angry uh, in your in your hunger. Um, <laughs> so that just comes to mind here. But it, it sets up uh, the temptation that is then listed here. So this hunger is thrown out there. And then Satan uh, tempts Jesus uh, with this uh, on the brain. He, mm -hmm. He's trying to, to attack those weak spots, if you will. Um, oh, you're hungry? Why don't you turn that stone into bread? Right. A absolutely. And that's exactly what uh, the first temptation uh, Yeah, And I love this. Satan shows up. And before we were recording, uh, Vicar and I were discussing the person of Satan, what he knows and what he doesn't know. And it frankly gets a little scary. And I mean that just in the, the bigness of who the devil is, who Satan is. And he stands before God's son, the very God made flesh, and makes this statement. And this is absolutely uh, an accusatory accusation statement. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And it really is. You know, you're God. Well, do do something godlike. If you are God, it's really um, when when you bring it that way, it's a matter of authority. Mm -hmm. um, and I I, I kind of just went to, if you are the Son of God, bring yourself down from the cross. So you right. have the scoffers, uh, the the temptations that come to Jesus when he's on the cross that really get at uh, his authority because mm -hmm. he could do yeah. whatever he wants. Um, but but here we have the weakness of being hungry, right. um, and then and then going right to that weakness of. Uh, then bringing in this authority issue, well, if you can do this, and you, you just kind of picture Jesus, well, I know I could. Right, yeah. What's the if here? But um, that that's really what we have at play. And with this, we also see, with all these temptations that come out in the text, we also see Jesus being um, shown to us as, as the second Adam, if mm -hmm. you will. Uh, and that's a term we like to throw around. Um, obviously, it comes up, uh, Paul writes in that way, quite a few times, um, but we have this, this idea that the first Adam, as we all know, back in Genesis, tempted in a, in a similar way, like you mentioned, and didn't come out so hot. Nope. It failed miserably. And, and absolutely, the, the second Adam listens to, or I won't say listens, that was the problem with the first Adam. He listened to another word. He didn't listen to God's word. 
And so the second Adam, who comes to fix everything, bears this temptation, bears this temptation. And I like the idea that you just pointed out. In the midst of his weakness, the frailty of his humanity is laid out. You know, you got to take care of yourself, Jesus. Aren't you hungry? What is it to you to turn this stone into bread? Yeah, and and again, contrasting Jesus' response here to to Adam and Eve's in the garden, um, where where Adam and Eve listened to another word, we have Jesus responding to these temptations with God's word. Yeah, it is written: "Man shall not live by bread alone." What a huge statement! Because again, uh, you know, thinking now we're talking about food. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> But the whole idea that in 40 days I have not had anything to eat, and to make that statement through God's word, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Where is my trust? Where is my hope? It's not in this food. It's not in this body. It's not in the things that I do. It's in what God has promised. And what's huge about that is when Jesus says this, he's pointing to himself. I am the living bread. I am the word. And this is where salvation will come, not this stone, not this bread. So that, that's a huge statement. And again, uh, the, the devil being uh, well-versed in Scripture, did God really say, mm -hmm. are you really going to do this? And then again, if you are God. Um, you know, I always think about that, that horrible statement, uh, when did you stop beating your wife? There's no answer. You, you you can't wiggle your way out of that. It's one of those trap those trap questions yeah. that um, you're really just trying to pin someone down. Because uh, yeah, if he doesn't act, does that mean he's not God? <laughs> so with that, that's a lot going on there um, mm -hmm. with Jesus being tempted, responding, and he does so in like manner uh, with the other temptations we have here. But this brings up kind of an interesting point. Um, Luther writes about uh, Satan, uh, the devil, being a theologian. Yeah. Could you explain what is meant by that? So a theologian, um, the, the art of theology is the study of God, but it's also um, who and what you believe. And so when you have the devil being a good theologian, he studied God. I really believe that uh, the devil intimately knows God and is actively working to attack and defeat God. And so with Satan showing up to be a good theologian, it is the misapplication of that theology. It is to, as we saw in the Garden of Eden and what we see in this text, taking this text or taking God's word and applying it to his power, his might, his motivation, and so forth. And this could be in a good theologian, is what we do by nature. Um, we're, we're all theologians. And this is something that's always bothered me. I remember sitting in the fifth grade and my, my science teacher looking at everybody and saying, you're all scientists. And I, I asked where my white is. I, I wanted to be a real scientist. Uh, but everyone's a theologian as a theologian because the way you act shows who you trust, mm -hmm. what you trust, and what you believe. And so Satan, uh, in the misuse of Scripture, shows who and what he trusts in. And with that, we also have this idea of, um, in this way, Satan can be 
um, I want to say this carefully, helping <laughs> yes. us learn about Scripture in the way of he presents uh, Scripture falsely, mm-hmm. and then you really have to to know Scripture itself to check to see if those attacks, those temptations from the devil uh, are true or not. Um, so in that way, it's kind of this way where we have to know Scripture so well that we know how to combat the false theology that the devil throws our way. Oh, absolutely. And again, that's the Garden of Eden first commandment issue. Did God really say? And then quote God himself. And then what's the motivation? What, what's the manipulation? Well, we, we continue with the, the temptations. Uh, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me. And I will give it to whom I will, if you then will worship me. It will all be yours. So, Vicar, you had an awesome question, and I'm still—it's in the back of my head. I really liked it. Your question was, um, does the devil really have authority? Is the kingdoms of the world really his? I, I thought that was a great question. So— what do you say? Because well, we wrestled with it. Uh, yeah, I, and typically you hear this. This comes out of verse 6 here where where Satan says, For it, uh, the kingdoms of, of the earth, have been delivered to me. Yeah. Um, so typically we kind of hear this um, uh, explained in two ways. One of, well, the first one being that, that Satan is actually um, making a, a, a suggestion here, an offer to Jesus that he doesn't have the authority to give. I've, I've definitely heard it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second way that you sometimes hear this explained is um, that Jesus, that sorry, that the devil does have authority in this world, um, and we see his hand at work in, in the fallenness of this world, and so that's where we kind of have to dance between, work through as we think about this. Okay, what does this really mean here? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely, and it's hard because with that, uh, when we think about Satan his power, his authority, we really do need to give the devil some respect in this. And what I mean by that is he is a powerful being, and he wields not only power, but he does stuff. And the moment we brush him off, the moment we downplay him, the moment we don't uh, think of him in the heaviness of what he can do, that's the moment he starts winning. That's the moment when he starts uh, doing what he is set out to do. And I think it's interesting to make this claim. Uh, complete arrogance. Who is the devil to claim anything? But look at the boldness that he does. I mean, he's standing before the creator of all things, including himself. And he knows it and says, this is mine. And I will let you have it. I think it really speaks to the fallenness, uh, the the state of creation that we're in, where where you know we're surrounded by so much sin and chaos, and and the works of the devil seem to abound. Mm-hmm. And there are times where it, I mean, this sometimes is described as the kingdom of Satan because yeah. of that fallen state, um, all the the evil that takes place, and everything like that. But we see uh, really the temptation here is that. Um, Satan is offering Jesus uh, kind of a way out mm-hmm. of what is to come for Jesus, uh, his suffering and death on the cross. Isn't this 
earthly kingdom so nice? Wouldn't you like to just stay here and be ruler of this kingdom here? So the temptation there goes really deep uh, in this idea of, you know, when you come down, when it comes down to it, it doesn't get any better than this. Right, yeah. So why don't we live it up? Yeah, and I I think that's an amazing offer from Satan, like it's his to offer. Mm -hmm. I I, I get a kick out of that. Just, again, the hugeness of that. And the the question that you asked, and I appreciated how you said that we we need to dance around it because there's some truth on both sides of that. And I I don't really actually know where to fall um, on that answer, except we need to be careful because he's out there doing what he's doing. And we can find the comfort, of course, in uh, Good Friday and yeah. Easter where, where we, well, we see— we, can, no, we, we can't talk about those things yet. We're, we're in Lent. Oh, we're, we're, we're in Lent. Yeah. Um, where we see um, the devil is defeated, yeah. uh, and his his he may have uh, some reign, some power here in this world, in this life, um, but we know ultimately the victory has already been won by Christ. Um, so we get to, to hold on to that in the background, even through the season of Lent. And— that cannot be overstated. Um, we, as we go through Lent, it is the the heaviness of our sins, but it's always in the in the light of Christ. Uh, and even with uh, Jesus' answer to this temptation, it is written, "You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve." And so that's facing the temptations, that's facing the hurt, that's facing your sin, knowing that it has been defeated. It doesn't mean it's taken away. It just means it's defeated, and God will see you through it. And those are hard, because I, I like your statement. Jesus, this is a really good offer, and you don't have to die. You don't have to do all these things, and you get to live it up in luxury of these kingdoms. And I like the idea that uh, if Satan were to offer me these gifts, I would look him right in the face and say, no. Knowing full well my weak flesh would be like, huh, it's not a bad, bad <laughs> idea. And just, again, the, the hugeness of this, the, the weakness of the flesh and how our Lord points out what is important. Where is salvation? Where is hope? And it's always outside, and it's always the work of God, and it will carry us. And again, how you keep going back to, and rightly so, uh, this is horrible. This is bad. This is evil. And Christ died for your sins. And Christ came for you. And we can't leave that off, even in the midst of Lent. We do get to do the Easter proclamation. We do get to do the Easter celebration, even in our dying moments, because we know this isn't the end. And so we we get to look at this really actually with a lot of excitement. The third uh, temptation And Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and again, Satan being a good theologian, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands you they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And again, that that if you're really God. The angels are going to protect you. You can you can do whatever you want. And we see uh, so not only that that if uh, statement there that that challenge of authority, um, but we also see Satan here actually using scripture. Mm-hmm to try and tempt Jesus, uh, twisting scripture to try to get him to a point of, uh, of, of 
falling into unbelief to doubt um, all that good stuff but but it's interesting that the 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 game has kind of stepped up here by Satan where he's actually using scripture mm -hmm. in order to try and test Jesus well and this comes up again when um, I believe Jesus is standing before Pilate and um, Pilate says are you the king of the Jews and Jesus says, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. I have legions of angels who would intercede for me at my word. But Jesus doesn't call them into play. He doesn't uh, have them uh, intercede for him. And again, that, that temptation, Jesus is truly willing out of love and compassion to suffer all things for you, for me for all people. And again, that, that statement, if you're God, you can do anything you want. Go do it. Mm -hmm. And and I like your, your statement, the challenge of authority. But then again, Satan is trying to give something he doesn't have. I give you permission to do what you want to do. Again, like Satan can can have that authority. I think maybe a practical point here worth exploring a little bit too is because we see Satan using scripture, mm -hmm. uh, and this might be a warning for us today of of the way that Satan can work through um, false doctrine, mm -hmm. uh, where where scripture is twisted to maybe uh, mean something that's a little easier for us to follow, yep. or fits with the culture a little better, or what have you. Um, the same thing kind of takes place today, and the the way that Jesus responds is a great model for us because he comes back with more scripture, uh, to clarify, mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to say, uh, to combat that false use of scripture with the way that we can actually apply scripture to our lives. So I think that might be important uh, as we kind of wade through the waters theologically today and and what, what does scripture really mean for us? How do we use it? Um, how is it misused? And of course, you only, you only understand and point out those misuses by knowing proper use of scripture. Right. Yeah, because uh, Jesus answers uh, Satan, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, again, there's more than just these three, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, Jesus being the very word of God, I'm pretty sure he knows scripture. And, and so with that, I, I don't want to diminish the temptation that Jesus went through, especially in his humanity. He hungered and thirst, and Satan tries to swoop in to, to play on that. But your, your point cannot be emphasized enough. If you don't know your scripture, then how will you know what God says? And then when that question, did God really say, who do you trust? If I'm going to trust my gut feeling, my gut feeling says, eat a bag of Oreos. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can't listen to my flesh. Right. And we see this kind of um, uh, encapsulated in this idea that really the, the, the devil is using these, uh, these temptations here as a way of attacking the first commandment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that really is uh, so much of the attacks that we face in this world uh, from Satan, these attacks on the first commandment, did God really say, right. if you are a Christian, right? All these things that that try to get us to doubt um, the use of Scripture, to, to deny who God really is, really come down to the first commandment. I, I absolutely agree. And that's the struggle. And we are weak in this. We cannot stand against Satan. 
We cannot stand against his accusations. We can't stand against his temptations. And this is one of the, the really neat things about this text. Uh, we have Israel who has witnessed these humongous events of God to bring them out of Egypt. And they doubt and they rebel against God and they wander for 40 years, a rebellious people that God continues to correct, God continues to forgive. But we see their failure to, to trust God. And then for 40 days, Jesus lives the perfect life, never rebels, never uh, misuses God's word, never not trusts in God, so on and so forth. And you see Jesus living the perfect life, showing where Israel failed, where Adam failed, where you failed, where I failed, and does it perfect and stands against Satan himself, and then will continue to stand against Satan on the cross and in the resurrection, and that whole idea that we get to be put into Christ, we are brought into Christ through our baptism, through faith, through the Holy Spirit, all is there for us so that we know because Christ was victorious over temptation, over sin, over death, we too will be. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.